I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Opening day for the Rays and Cy Young Award winner Blake Snell on the mound against Cy Young runner-up Justin Verlander of the Astros. Austin Meadows leads off with the Rays with a home run on the fourth pitch he saw, but this is a new year. And Snell proved it may be impossible for him to live up to the expectations he set. Snell allowed five runs, all coming after three home runs, and he left after only six innings and a 5-1 to loss to the Astros. Meanwhile, Verlander gave up only one hit after the first two raised batters and no runs the rest of the way, striking out nine through seven. I talked to Verlander after the game. He'll tell you why this game was so important to him. And who believes the Bucks will draft LSU linebacker Devin White number five overall? How about nearly everybody I talked to at the league meetings in Arizona? What will Bruce Arians do with all the time that he's going to have not game planning for the offense? Finally, they'll be writing books about the Greg Schiano era with the Patriots. Very short books. Schiano resigned before he even made it to practice, and he's stepping away from football for a while. We'll have that story. We've got all that and more on this edition of Sports Day Tampa Bay. I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times, along with producer Steve Versnick. Hey, if you got a business and you'd like to uh, be a sponsor of this podcast, we'll tell you how you can do that. Our advertisers are having great success, and so will you. Now, for information, all you have to do is reach us on Twitter at SportsDayTB, or you can reach me on Twitter at NFL Stroud, or my email address is rstroud at tampabay.com. We'd love to have you guys be part of our team, and we've got lots of new ways that you can sponsor this podcast. Okay, Steve, because I just can't get enough baseball – you know, I I think I've OD'd on football, so I, I asked my boss if uh, if there was anything I could do to uh, to go to the game, uh, short of buying a ticket, which I was going to do, but my son wasn't available to go, so I was just kind of by myself. So I got a credential, and I wound up working, which was always fun. But, uh, you know, not the opening day that Blake Snell had envisioned. Of course, uh, there were two matchups in Major League Baseball where you were going to have the Cy Young Award winner against the runner-up in each league. It was very unique that way. Blake Snell, who won the Cy Young against Justin Verlander, and then you had uh, what uh, Jason DeGrom against Max Scherzer uh, in the other in the National League. So it was, a, it was going to be an interesting day either way. But I think, you know, we're probably anybody that thought that Snell could duplicate just the insane numbers he put up a year ago uh, it, it is probably going to be disappointed anyway, right? Because what was he twenty-one and five? I think an ERA under two. Uh, I mean, those are just ridiculous numbers to try to duplicate. But in any event, he was going up against a very good Astros team, maybe the best team in the American League, and certainly uh, Verlander. I'll tell you, this guy is ageless. He just signed a new two-year deal. I don't know if you saw that, Steve, for sixty million dollars. Um, so he gets two more years from the Astros, and then he went out there. Uh, and the first batter, of course, he faces is Austin Meadows. People have a lot of expectations for him as well, and he didn't disappoint. He homers to left center on the fourth pitch he saw, and it looked like for a second that, you know what, the way Blake Snell pitches, that might be enough, you know, because he had uh, a fairly, you know, uneventful first inning. So it, it did not stand up that way. He got behind 
uh, one inning, walked the uh, seventh-place batter, really looked like he had him struck out. Then he walks the ninth-place batter. That's what, that's, what, that's what killed him today was those two walks. That buried him, yep. And then the home run by yep. George Springer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, who, you know, made it 3-1. to one. And that's really all Verlander needed. That lifted him because he had struggled a little bit through the first two innings. Springer, by the way, that's his third opening day home run. So he's no stranger to doing stuff like that. He gives up two more home runs, Snell does, to Jose Otuve. And Michael Brantley. And Michael Brantley, that's right. Um, and so they wind up losing – Five to one. Uh, some hard hit balls by the Rays. A couple balls hit at people. Mm-hmm. Tommy Pham got a couple of the hits and really should have had four, but hit a couple lasers out there as well. And, you know, it was just a better pitched game by Verlander, uh, who, interestingly enough, you know, there's been a lot of, you know, the Tampa Bay um, voters and, uh, you know, sort of, you know, Justin Verlander being in this contest with Snell last year and finishing runner up. There's There's been a little bit of, a back and forth, I think, you know, Kate Upton, uh, his wife has gone on Twitter and said some things as well. Um, but at the end of the day, uh, you know, these two guys are really great competitors. This was the 11th opening day start, by the way, for Justin Verlander. It was only the first ever for Blake Snell. Remember, Chris Archer mm-hmm. was the opening starter a year ago. So Blake Snell gets his first opening day start. And you have to feel, you know, that he was a little, a little under pressure uh, in that respect. But, um, yeah, it, and I thought I was it was surprising to me. I talked to Verlander after the game. We spoke for a long time, and I'll tell you about how he's rediscovered his changeup. But um, basically he said, you know what, this was no ordinary opening day for me. I don't try to hide behind that the, this is just another start anymore. There definitely is more intensity to it. Um, it's kind of somewhere in between a playoff game and a regular season game. Um, so you just kind of use it. I, you know, I, 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 I use the, the adrenaline, use the – feeling that that you know you know you're going to have uh, and just go from there and you know it could have manifested in not having good off-speed pitches early but uh was able to kind of click it and and uh get it going so yeah it was a lot of fun today you know going up against uh blake who obviously was one two in the side last year um you know i don't think that happened, has happened too often in the game even though it happened on in both leagues today so um you know that was definitely a fun day and the boys backed me you know giving up one run early even against a guy as good as Blake is, uh, you know how good our lineup is. So it's just kind of go out there and it's easier to reset that way and say, okay, just make your pitches, keep us in the ball game, and these guys will they'll find a way. So and they did quickly. You know, I thought the Rays really let uh, Justin Verlander off the hook in the first inning. I mean, the, Austin mm-hmm. Meadows gets the home run, Tommy right. Fan follows up and he's on base, and he gets picked off first base on a ball that got yes. away from Chirinos. He played it pretty well, but Fam had a moment of indecision and then got yes. stuck in between. And once he got that out. Uh, he he locked in at that point, and he was rolling. Mm-hmm. But I think he had was. Tommy Pham not had that moment of indecision or had the ball gotten a little further away from Chirinos and he gets to second base, I think that the whole game plays out differently. It might. Because I don't, had, I don't I think mean, Verlander was settled in yet, and I think the Rays could have put some a crooked number up in that first inning. Right, and maybe that would have given you know Snell a little bit of a cushion and, and the outcome could have been different. I mean, Verlander said, because I asked him um, after the game, you know, what he thought about the Rays lineup. And even though, you know, at one point he retired 12 batters in a row, he said it was, it was a big challenge for him. To be honest, it felt, it felt like a bit of a grind the whole game. Yeah. The lineup, the lineup felt good. Um, you know, I felt like, uh, they were on the fastball early. I think they made a conscious effort to make me throw my off-speed pitches. Um, you know, and then once I started getting a good feel for my off-speed stuff, I think it played into my, 
fed into my game plan a bit. But, uh, you know, early it was a bit of a struggle. And I think they have a lot of guys that uh, give good at bats. Um, they have a lot of guys that don't chase a lot of off speed. Um, and then they have, you know, uh, that makes it tough on a guy when, when besides a couple guys in their lineup, most of the guys don't chase a lot of off speed. That makes it difficult. To, you got to bring the ball to the plate, which is what you don't want to do as a pitcher. You know what's? Uh, we'll get back to Snell in just a minute, but it's sticking with Verlander for just a second. What he's done, his career, of course, is Hall of Fame, uh, first ballot all the way. And in, in, you know, my opinion, I don't know that there's really a whole lot of debate about that. Maybe there is, um, but it, you know, the thing about him, early in his career, he was a guy that used the changeup very, very well. I mean, he got a lot of swings and misses with it, and then it kind of went away. He had some injuries. He changed his arm slot. Um, and he just hasn't used it. And after the game, A.J. Hinch talked about it as just you know being devastating in that game, he, uh, the way he threw it. He threw it all spring. He worked on it all spring, came up with another pitch. Of course, he's mostly a fastball slider guy. Uh, and he comes up with the changeup, and he said you know, it was like it wasn't, it wasn't a, a, uh, a new toy. He says it was like a used toy that he found in a sofa, but uh, it was effective. And you know, I think that that – kind of got him settled a little bit and he was really rolling there uh like I mentioned with 12 12 in a row until I think uh G-Man Choi reached on an error but uh you know there there were some hard hit balls but really never really threatened after that until late in the game when they got a couple guys on and nobody out and uh I I just think that you wonder how Snell if you know how much pressure of course it's opening day and you know you have a tough pitching matchup to begin with but so many expectations are on this guy. If you go back and look at last year and sort of what his winning percentage was versus all the rest of the Rays pitchers, I mean, basically, as John Romano wrote in the Tampa Bay Times, Snell was the difference between 90 wins and, say, a 500 record. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's that's how dominant he was in the games that he started. Well, they finished 18 um, games above 500. And just the games he had the correct. decision, they were 16 games above 500. That's right. Now, that's not all the games and, he started, but the ones he had a decision in, it was essentially the whole the whole record above 500. Steve, I think this is right. I think he had 14 games last season that Blake Snell gave up two runs or less. Uh, it was probably at least that. Here, let me go through and yeah. count real quick. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, what? 23, 24, 25, 26. 27 games. He started, Come he on. gave up two runs or less. Are you kidding me? He had, and this is, this is the point I was going to bring out. And people, you know, people are worried. Oh, Blake Snow gave up five runs. In the second game last year, he gave up five runs and three and a third innings to the Yankees. Yeah, he did not start out yeah. well. He gave up five runs to Baltimore in May in mm-hmm. three and a third innings. He gave up four runs another game uh, at the Yankees in June, and then he gave up three runs. Uh, at Minnesota in July. And other than that, every game was two runs or less he gave up. Yeah. And not earned runs. I'm talking runs. Runs, yeah, not even earned. Right. Which is just, I mean, it was stupid how good he was, obviously. An ERA under two with, with that kind of record and, and that kind of dominance. Yeah, so only four was, games he, last year did he give up more than two runs. Right. But this was a different deal. I mean, I, I you know, look, he, he made a couple of bad pitches. Like you said, the walks is what got him in trouble. And then the three-run home run. Mm-hmm. The Rays could do nothing with Verlander to, to really speak of. Uh, I thought Tommy Pham hit the ball hard four times and ended up with just two hits to show for it. And, of course, Meadows with the leadoff home run. After that, uh, not, a lot of, not a lot of threats. I mean, they, they hit the ball hard a couple times, but 
uh, Verlander was just dealing. I mean, he was on. And when you when you let him off the hook, like you said, when you had him kind of pinned down there early, you know, it was funny talking to Verlander. I said, well, what do you do when you give up, you know, a home run on, and to the first batter you face? And he says, well, you know, he's done it before. He did it in a playoff game where Coco Crisp homered uh, in, in, you know, the first time at bat, and he wound up pitching eight innings and didn't get any more runs in that game. So he has such a vast amount of experience to draw on, mm-hmm. whereas, you know, Blake Snell is still – obviously a very young pitcher and facing the pressure of, of being a Cy Young award winner. I asked Berliner about that. I go, you know, is it different when you come back off a of Cy Young and, you know, does, is there any extra amount of pressure? Does it carry over at all? Is it, you know, with, you know, having to live up to that. And he said, well, you know, with me, it really didn't. He goes, I can't speak for Blake and no one really can. I mean, Blake, again, well, you know, the season will have to play out. He faced a good ball club, good hitting ball club and was unable to lock it down and gave up some bombs. But well, The other thing for Blake is, look, he gave up those two walks and then gives up the home run. So now he's pitching from behind. Yes. And that was something he didn't do a lot last year because he wasn't giving up runs. That's true. You're pitching from behind against Justin Verlander, one of the best pitchers in the game today, period. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, and then he ended up giving up two more home runs. But, you know, overall, they, they didn't hit him real hard. I mean, outside the home runs, of course. You right. Know, I, I didn't think it was a, a – it was. A, I didn't think he, his fastball was being placed very well. I didn't think he used it. I thought you know he was using that too much, but mm. I didn't think he pitched bad. No, he didn't. He didn't. I, I thought when he got, like I said, those walks down in the order, I thought he got a little cute. I thought he was throwing too many breaking balls instead of challenging some of those guys down low. Um, but you're right. The the, the fastball um, placement was not good. They they did jump on that a few times and. Um, you know, Jose Altuve can hit it out at any park. That little guy is just murder. It's ball hard, so hard every time up. Uh, look, I like the Astros, and, uh, you know, it's it's a disappointing open. I think, you know, every home team, I think you talked about this, Steve, you know, every home team in baseball should win the first day. <laughs> it's just there's such a weird feeling when, you know, okay, so the Astros are here for four, and they're a very tough ball club. You're thinking, wow, you know, you're 0-1. There were some comments after the game about how, you know, this is the part that stinks about the regular season is these guys have been in spring training where nothing counts. Uh, And then you go out there with all the expectations in a full house. Uh, The capacity now is 25,025, and uh, they had a sellout that they announced, uh, I think as recently as uh, prior to to last, the night before the game. But, um, you know, there's, there's the bunting and the pomp and the circumstance and all that's going on, the introduction of the, of the teams. And then you get a leadoff home run, and the place was rocking. I mean, mm-hmm. it was, you know, that, that is not something you see to start a year off with uh, very often. And the Rays had only done it, I think, one other time. It was Gerald Williams, if you can remember. 2000, That I far believe. back. Yeah, 2000. It happened on the road. So th- that, that's how, how odd it is. Uh, and, you know, just a great moment, obviously, for the new right fielder of the Rays. But it, it's just, you know, it's they always say this. It's one of 162, but that's absolutely true. Well, you the, come back the schedulers have tonight. done them no favors. And last, no, year, they last year they opened with Boston. Granted, they won game one and then lost the next three in the series. Mm-hmm. And Boston went on to win the World Series last year. Now you start with Houston, who's most people's pick to win the World Series this year. Sure. Definitely one of the favorites, mostly because of the division they're in. And so you get them to open the season. So the schedulers have done you no favors. That's tough. And then you have a really hard road trip coming up all the way out west to San Francisco is where it starts. There were a couple observations, and again, it's one game, so, you know, good luck trying to, like, draw conclusions on this. 
Kevin Kiermaier did not look good at the plate. He batted eighth. Uh, still, for my money, you know, with the shift on, third baseman in on the grass, uh, still seemed to, to try to be yoking the ball, trying, you know, trying mm-hmm. to pull it and hit it with power instead of putting it down, going the other way, bunning anything uh, to help them. They got him down at eighth in the lineup right now. Zunino. Zunino threw a couple be, runners out. He absolutely is a tremendous defensive player. I was going to say that. Like, he lived up to his billing. It's going to be very hard to run on that guy, and he's going to be great for that pitching staff. Probably have to suffer through another 200 season for a catcher, however. He's got a little bit of power, they say. He hit 20 home runs last year. But when you get down in the lineup and it's Kiermaier Zanino, um, and again, one game, right? Because Kiermaier swung the bat really well in the spring training. He's got mm-hmm. to come back and duplicate that. But against Verlander, anyway, he looked lost up there, and he looked like he was going back to his old habit of trying to trying to yank everything. And at some point with that shift, he needs to take advantage of that and get them out of that, or it's or it's going to be a long year for Kevin Kiermaier. One thing that stood out is, you know, G-Man Choi played first base, and he had actually surprised some people with his glove work during spring training. But then there's spring training and there's, you know, the regular season. Tell you what, he he handled himself pretty well over at first base. He had a couple of, of plays he had to dig out. But he had he the also one that overran. bounced out of his glove, but he was able to pick it up. He's still able to pick it up to, to get the runner. <laughs> Very little league of him, but yeah, <laughs> I don't know who who the runner was. Was not running hard to first base, or or could not run. But then he had two sort of adventurous uh, pop ups down, you know, near near the dugout that he sort of overran, and and so you know didn't look necessarily smooth on that. That's going to be an adventure, but he hung in there, man. And and I tell you what. Willie Adamas didn't do him any favors. He dirted he dirted a couple balls over there on, on routine plays. He was so used to he having his buddy help. Jake Bowers there who picks those up for him. So Right, exactly. But these were just, you know, scoop and throw and um we had a couple there in the dirt. But anyway, so far so good with G Man Choi. Look, you get crazy about this stuff, right? If they had a one five to one and everybody would have them at one sixty two. One of one sixty two. And in the World <laughs> Series. But it's not you know, Blake Snell is such a let's just say this. He's going to be such a big part of them not having losing streaks. And, you know, the guy you give the ball to after if you're in kind of a funk and in four days he, he gives you the best chance and you go out there and you win the game because he's going to not give up any runs or very few runs. Um, and so they're going to need him, maybe not to do what he did a year ago, but to be very, very good. He wasn't very good, you know, on Thursday. Uh, I I think that he'll get better, obviously, and, and – you know he's he's going to be their ace all year, but um, but it was an interesting pitching matchup. It really was. I I enjoyed. You know you like to see a lot of runs scored if you're if you're a fan, and of course the Houston Astros saw some some big flies, and that was probably pretty exciting for them. But you know I I enjoy watching you know two top notch pitchers like that go at it. I mean that's a rarity, especially to have that on opening day, in both leagues, the Cy Young Award winner against the Cy Young runner up. And, you know, there there certainly was a little bit of motivation for revenge by Verlander, and he didn't run from it, which was good to hear him, you know, talk about how, no, man, you know, that, that got my juices flowing, and I'm not going to stand here in the past. I might have lied about it and said it was just a, a normal game. But I thought that was cool of him to, uh, you know, to do. And I, I've not – I've seen Verlander in spring training. Obviously, I don't cover baseball on a regular basis. I'll do some games on the weekends for Mark. Uh, Tompkin when he's preparing his Sunday stuff every now and then. But uh, Verlander talked forever. He was extremely engaging and not in a hurry. Um, you know, there was a big scrum, and it got down to two or three of us, and 
you know, he, he gave us as much time as we needed. So um, pretty cool to, to talk to somebody that's had the kind of career that he has had. And, you know, once again, his 11th opening day start, and it went pretty well for him and for the Astros. So they'll be back at it. Charlie Morton will go against his former team. That's another great storyline heading into game number two at the Trop. And they have the Astros for four. So, you know, tough series to start with. But they don't want to dig themselves a hole, Steve, like they did a year ago. You know that they're talking about that in the clubhouse and probably have all spring. Is like, look, we won 90, but we did it the hard way, you know. Yeah, they started, what, what one like, and six and then like four and 13? Four and 12, four and 13, like, yeah. Yeah, yeah it, was, it, was a, it was a deep, dark, ugly hole. And um, you don't want to bury yourself before the season starts. You're not going to win a pennant in April, but you certainly could take a step towards losing it if you have just a terrible month to start the year. So I like their ball club. Um, I, think it's a, I think it's a good, solid ball club. I think there's offense throughout the lineup. Certainly they can catch the ball out there. And, you know, they're going to help that pitching staff out. Um, so, you know, the other thing was Jalen Beeks came in and did a pretty nice job. I mean, they didn't have to use any of that bullpen except for Beeks. Yeah, three scoreless innings, a little dicey in the ninth, but he got through it mm-hmm. and uh, saved mm-hmm. the rest of the bullpen for Charlie Morton. And then, of course, you've got uh, Glass now going on Saturday and then openers back-to-back on Sunday and Monday. Yeah, you know, I thought they would split up those openers. We talked to Mark Tompkin about that, but, you know, certainly – even though he gave up the five runs between him and Beeks, they did their job, you know, on opening day, getting getting through those nine innings with just, you know, two pitchers. But look, if uh, you know, Charlie Morton will probably go deep. That's that's been what he does. You don't know with Glass Glass now because he had a tough spring training. So coming off your number three starter, then you have back to back, you know, openers, you could use that that bullpen pretty heavily there in this first series. But uh, they certainly helped themselves on opening day with only using Snell um, and Beak. So that was that was a positive sign for them. So we'll follow the Rays, of course, uh, you know, over the weekend. We'll talk about them uh, again on Monday. And baseball is back. That's the cool thing. There were some other pretty interesting games in the major leagues as well. Yeah, the Dodgers uh, put up 12 runs over the Diamondbacks with eight home runs, which is an opening day record. <laughs> That's incredible, man. Yeah, Lorenzo Cain, a uh, home run saving catch with two outs in the bottom of the ninth from a game tying home run as the Brewers beat the Cardinals five to four. Mm-hmm. You talk about a place going nuts, Miller Park. Was, I'll bet. Right? Well, whatever. I think it's, I think it's still Miller Park this year. They got a new name coming soon. I don't remember okay. what it is, but yeah, which it seems weird not to have Milwaukee be Miller Park, but. And then there was a former Ray that uh, had a couple of home runs on opening day, right? Yeah, Tim Beckham went yard twice for the Mariners. They beat Boston 12-4. to So the only team in the division that won were the Yankees, who played the uh, Orioles, so one of them had to win. <laughs> yeah, well, the Orioles are <laughs> not good. The Yankees Sports, win. Sports Illustrated did a, uh, a piece last week, uh, six words to describe your team, a baseball team, you know, and it's – and the Orioles were, it can't get worse, can it? <laughs> I think it will. I really do. Or something, you know, can't be any worse, something like that, whatever it was. But I think I said this. My my uh, sports editor who, who grew up in Baltimore, he's a big Orioles fan, and he went down the final spring training game to see him. And he was like, you know, um, Ray's fan thinks he has it bad because they're looking up to the Red Sox and they're looking up to the Yankees and, you know, the uh, evil empire and all the money they spend. He goes, man, the Orioles are looking up to the Rays and, and Toronto. 
He says, I'm not sure they have a major league player on the roster. Like, they've just gutted it, you know. We got some major league contracts, but. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Yeah, but like, you know, guys that you would uh, that you would necessarily recognize or count on to do a lot. So that's that's tough for sure. Okay, Steve, I'm back from Phoenix uh, where I was at the league meetings, the owners' meetings there for about uh, three days or so. And, um, you know, I had a chance to go kind of through my notes. Of course, we had, you know, some some FaceTime with Jason Light. Um, I actually, you know, talked a little bit with Bruce Arians throughout the week, and then uh, we met him for breakfast with the, the rest of the National Football League coaches on Tuesday. And then, of course, I also – had a chance to sit down one-on-one with uh, Bucks coach chairman Joel Glazer, and we will play that interview for you um, probably next week, early next week, I would imagine. Um, it's always good to talk to Joel. It's the only time the ownership actually, you know, a member of the owner or co-chairman actually speaks uh, once a year in sort of a state of the Bucks uh, interview, if you will. So make sure you want to be on hand for that um, early next week. But, you know, one of the, the events that – the great thing about going out there is, is you know, you have the owners and then you have general managers and you have head coaches and all their families. And it's sort of it's, – it's business, but there's, it's mixed with pleasure and family time. And it's sort of the unofficial start, uh, for me anyway, of the new year. I know for coaches the combine is probably that. But if you're a GM, if you're a head coach, and you know, the families that see each other each year – this is a, a business that has a ton of turnovers, and the kids literally grow up sometimes seeing each other once a year at the owners' meetings, um, and they look forward to seeing their friends and whatnot. Um, but every year, that picture changes, right? And so you have, you're going to have families that aren't there. Uh, maybe they're fired. Maybe they're on other staffs, but they're not head coaches. Um, so it's always interesting when you get to this point because I think people are relieved, number one, that they're still in the club. Uh, and, you know, it's so close to the start of the draft and free agency that they have this reception on Monday night. It's open to the media, and it's a big deal. I mean, this is, of course, his NFL 100th anniversary this year, and you've seen the commercials with the footballs, and they had a, uh, uh, a great band, and uh, on the stage was this giant wedding cake, which was a replica of what they used in those commercials with the, with the gold football, you know. Um, and it, it was funny because after the event was kind of winding down, Frank Reich actually climbed up on stage and was trying to get that football off that damn cake. <laughs> but it was just weird watch. I thought, if this thing falls and somebody yells fumble and we reenact this, it's gonna, I'm going to be in the middle of it. Um, but they could, couldn't get it off. But anyway, it's, it's just a, you know people are relaxed. It's a good time to get information, to walk around, talk to your GM, talk to other GMs, kind of get a feel for what they think is going on with the draft. Uh, and all of that. And I, and I did just that. I had a chance to talk to uh, various GMs and there's broadcasters there and other people. And this is what uh, I came away with. There is a real consensus among other teams anyway, and it's their job to set the board and sort of understand where teams' needs are and what they think they're going to do with it, that the Bucks are targeting LSU linebacker Devin White if they stay there at number five. Now, 
you don't know how many quarterbacks will go ahead of them, you know, and, and so that's certainly going to play into it, whether it's, you know, Kyler Murray or if Dwayne Haskins would jump up in front of them at number five or they would get an offer to trade back. So all of this is subject to change. And, and you know, you could get an elite defensive lineman pushed to them like Quentin Williams or I, I don't think, you know, Nick Bosa will, will certainly make it down that far. But maybe a Josh Allen, let's say, uh, in a perfect world has a chance to to fall a little bit to the Bucks, But failing that, um, you know, the, the people I talk to really believe that, you know, White is just the perfect player. Now, it's rare for linebackers to get taken that high. Uh, I think the last one was Dante Fowler by the Jacksonville Jaguars, and I want to say he was the, maybe the second or third pick overall. But, you know, White is a 6'1", 240-pound sort of, you know, tackling machine game record, if you will, very similar to Quan Alexander but bigger. Uh, and a guy that can blitz as well. And so, you know, it, it, when you hear people talk about the draft in, in the NFL and they always talk about, well, we're going to get the best available player, what they're really saying is the best available player at a position of need. Now, it just so happens that this draft is heavily front-loaded with defensive talent. Um, you know, several uh, quality defensive linemen, tackles, uh, edge rushers, all of that. Uh, and, and really throughout the whole first round and some, some a little bit into the second. Um, so in this case, the needs sort of match uh, with what's in the draft. And, you know, again, with respect to the linebacker position, I mean, Quan Alexander goes to the San Francisco 49ers. Uh, right now you'd be looking at, you know, guys like, um, you know, outside Carl Nassib and JPP would be your sort of your outside edge rushers from the linebacking spot. If you will, you'd have, um, you know, Buchanan, who they brought over uh, from Arizona, is a guy that could play inside along with Levante David. So those would sort of be your four linebackers now. Um, but really, you know, Buchanan is sort of a sort of a slot player uh, on passing downs when they go to sub packages. So they need, if they could get that Mike linebacker, if they could get that guy, whether it's, you know, Devin White or Devin Bush, uh, somebody like that to sort of be the quarterback of their defense, that's really a big, big need, you know. And, again, I think unless one of those top five guys or, you know, top three defensive linemen get pushed to them because of quarterbacks, um, they're very likely will go that way. And, you know, it's – when you talk to people, they're so high on this kid um, that, you know, it's – and it's surprising to me because I thought maybe if they traded back, that'd be a guy that they would get – but no, everybody tells me, watch him at, you know, at number five. He's he's worth that. And so we'll watch. He's a Buckus Award winner. They compare him to Patrick Willis. Uh, you remember the uh, linebacker for the 49ers that went to seven Pro Bowls that played at Ole Miss, exactly the same size. So I, you know, I know there were some people saying, well, you know, what about the defensive linemen? But there are defensive linemen throughout this first round uh, and into the second. So you might go, you know, linebacker and then defensive line. It just depends. But regardless, they need to take a Pro Bowl caliber player on defense. And fortunately for them, that's sort of that's sort of the way things are things are heading. Also, I had a chance to talk to Bruce Arians a little bit. Um, I've written about Bruce in our interviews that we had with him. One of the things that I thought was interesting is, you know, from the beginning, Arians has said that he's going to delegate a lot. And, you know, there was, there was a certain amount of, of talk and chatter, people coming up to me saying, 
you know, what do you think about Bruce? Um, you know, he was done in Arizona and, you know, he retired and, and in a way, you know, he's not coaching as much on this team because he's not going to be doing the game planning and he's not doing the play calling. And what do you think of Byron left, which he's, he's not had a full season of doing it. He, he called, you know, eight games last year for the Cardinals, but it wasn't Arians offense. Uh, and so in talking to Arians, he said, look, I'm, I'm going to be part of the game plan. I'm going to be somebody that's going to be on the headset. And really there's only about five or six coaches calls during the game in terms of, you know, run it here, throw it there, go for it on fourth down, that sort of thing. Um, you know, but he said it will give me sort of extra time to work on personnel decisions, to go over uh, sort of game-type decisions that he felt like he might have screwed up back when he was with uh, Arizona. So he thinks all of these things, you know, as well as spending time with Jameis Winston in the quarterback room, it's mostly, though, going to be, I would say, Clyde and Byron Leftwich, and really – this is a new role for Arians because he's always such a hands-on offensive coordinator type type guy, but he is going to coach the entire team, and it'll be interesting to see sort of sort of how that plays out as they uh, as they get into it. Uh, as far as you know, he talked about the defense and how this is not going to be your Tampa two. This is going to be a pressure defense under Todd Bowles, the guy that played for him. I know that people are used to seeing the Bucks play zone, play off. They're not going to do that. They're going to bring pressure. They're going to blitz a lot. He thinks Levante David can step up in his blitz game. They're going to play press man on the outside, and basically you have to beat the guy. Um, you know, they're hoping on that Vernon Hargraves will come back, and at this point it will be Hargraves and Carlton Davis will be your two starting corners. Now there's been a lot of talk about, you know, Hargraves' ability to move inside and play the slot, but what Arian said was, to heck with that. If he can play outside, we're going to leave him there. We'll find somebody to come in on some of those passing downs and play inside um, in the slot. So they're counting, you know, counting heavily on that. Now all of that is, you know, also is before the draft. So I think that things certainly can change and they're going to look to fortify their defense at all positions, especially uh, in the secondary. So, you know, that's one of the things that they're going to have to continue to, to build, but you don't want to rely on too many rookies because the thing about rookies is they make mistakes uh, it's a long season. It's the first time through. We saw that, I think, last year a little bit with Carlton Davis starting to uh, to wear down uh, MJ Stewart, you know, as well. We saw it with Justin Evans in his second year last season. So they got a young secondary and some guys that, you know, need to grow up in a hurry. But right now it would be Davis and Vernon Hargraves that would be on the outside. Um, the other thing that was raised was just what a good signing these two guys were. Bradley Pinion, who is former 49ers punter that comes over from San Francisco, uh, he's one of these guys, there's probably about three or four, no more than maybe five in the league, uh, punters that also handle kickoffing duties. And it seems like a small thing, but it's not. Obviously, you know, the, where the ball is placed now, uh, if you can hit that thing out of the end zone, you minimize full field position, they get the ball at the 25-yard line. You can also, you know, do some some – strategic kicking where you kick the ball high, try to pin them deep and tackle them that way. Um, but the biggest thing having a, a, you know, a punter that can kick off is you save the leg of your place kicker. I mean, you literally help him throughout the week because he's not kicking off. You know, Cairo Santos is a guy who was very, very accurate. I think he missed two field goals last year. But, you know, in terms of distance, you're going to see that go down 
if he's always having to kick off. And you can it can also create some injuries. That's what happened to Martin Gramatica during his career. So Bradley Pinion is somebody that I'm sure, in fact, I know, that John Lynch, Lynch wishes they could have kept in San Francisco. And the other guy is Brashard Perryman, the wide receiver that they got from the Browns. Of course, he was a first-round pick by the Baltimore Ravens, injured both knees early in his career. Really, he's just had a, a heck of a time trying to stay on the field. But he went to Cleveland last year in the second half of the season. He sort of took off. I mean, he averaged well over 18 yards a catch, had a couple of touchdowns. And in talking to Bruce Arians, he said, look, everybody that I've talked to said, man, you've got Perryman. And he was breaking back out. Um, and so really Arians thinks he's one of the best gets that they've had in free agency. And when you look at that receiving core, you still have Mike Evans who's going to do his thing. Chris Godwin's going to have pick up the biggest amount of slack that they get or had lost from Adam Humphreys. He'll be the guy who, according to Arians, may not come off the field. He'll play outside on some downs. He'll go in the slot on third downs. So he could end up, he thinks, with close to 100 catches uh, if he stays healthy and continues to progress. And then, of course, the speed guy, you lose Deshaun Jackson, but you have a guy who can stretch the field like Perriman. So those are the two free agents that they're excited about. There's a bunch of others that they have signed. but They think those guys will make the biggest impact. Finally, Steve, speaking of football, what the heck with Greg Schiano? He Toes resigns the from the New England. Yeah, man. Unbelievable. Before he even has a practice. I mean, they haven't gotten to the offseason program yet. He gets his, his important job as a defense coordinator with Bill Belichick, who's been a longtime friend of his. I've seen these guys sitting at combines together for years. Of course, he leaves um, the staff at Ohio State, I guess, for better or worse, he was probably fired. It was a, probably a mutual agreement to some degree. Probably mutual with uh, Ryan Day taking over for Urban Meyer. And Shiano sure, probably very, wanted the job. So, I'm sure he did. And, and to me, it reminds me very much of, uh, of Cristobal at Oregon and Jim Levitt. You know, you sort of had – you can't have two head coaches, um, so eventually one has to go, and it was, it was Levitt in that case. But, man, he uh, put out a statement um, that said he needed to reevaluate his life. And he needed to get his priorities straight with respect to his faith and his family. What is that all about? Your speculations as good as mine. <laughs> it really is. I mean, it's just it's very odd to me. I mean, I know his family's so important to him. Obviously, he's got he's got kids. Uh, I I know his wife. I mean, I remember um, when Greg was here as head coach. They seemed like you know a close family. Look, this coaching profession can eat you alive in terms of the time that you spend away from from your kids, uh, from your spouse, all of that, and the moves that they have to make. I mean, here's a guy, um, you know, that has had several moves, certainly since he left Rutgers, and you know was potentially moving, you know, to to New England. Who knows where that left his kids and his family? Um, and so, for whatever reason, I mean, Greg Shano, or Greg Shano felt like. You know, he couldn't fulfill his duties as defensive coordinator as good as that job seemed. And, and Bill Belichick, being a friend of his, understood. He also put out a short statement and, um, you know, what can he say? But the Patriots now will have to go about the business of trying to find a defensive coordinator. Of course, they got the best one that they ever need in Belichick, who's the head coach. But nonetheless, um, there'll be an opening there. But, yeah, man, just um, – So if, if the Patriots win the title yeah. this year, does he get a ring? <laughs> I don't know. I – he did. He coached all of zero practices. I mean, this is the thing: the players aren't even allowed in the building, so it won't be like you know everybody will miss what Shiano did for them um, because they haven't even had the first meeting with with a single player yet. 
So they won't even know that he was ever there to begin with. But um, I know how important this job was, you know, to work to work with Belichick and how much he respected him and certainly, you know, how much he was looking forward to probably coaching in the NFL. But there's some personal issues and he's stepping away from football. You know, Urban Meyer did that. It was more health-related, I think, or at least it stated that way at the time. Um, but remember, he left the University of Florida and then, mm-hmm. you know, in short order, got a broadcasting job and then boom, he's at Ohio State. So um, obviously all those things kind of cleared themselves up. So it's a bit of a reset if you will, for Greg Schiano, but shocking nonetheless that uh, that he would walk away because, I, again, you're the defensive coordinator of the six-time world champions, you know, uh, defending their title from a year ago. It would seem to be something that would be a hoot to be able to do if you're a coach that's been in, in ball as long as Schiano has. So I'm sure he's, sure he's upset about it. I'm sure he's sad about it, but this is what he felt like he had to do for his family. And look, there, there's very few secrets in, in the naked city, as they say. There's eventually the uh, you know the reasons and the why might might tumble out, but right now we're not, really not sure. So we wish the former Bucks coach well, and um, we'll see what happens down the road. And I'm sure he'll get back uh, into football at some point. He's still still a fairly young man. Before we get out of here, congratulations to the USF men's basketball team. You know we talked about this college basketball invitational tournament. And, uh, you know, how they had to upfront some money to have at least uh, one or two home games, which they were glad to do because, again, had a very young team. Wound, they, you know, they got their 20th win in the first round of this tournament. And, uh, you know, just an outstanding year and a reward because you get to keep playing, you get to keep practicing and getting better. Uh, and now they have advanced uh, to the finals of the CBI against DePaul. And they did that by beating uh, Loyola Marymount. Uh, and so, you know, just a just a great opportunity for them, uh, USF. And they'll play, I guess, Steve, it's, it's not just one game. This is like a best of three. The championship's a best of three. Game one at the Yingling Center on Monday at 7 o'clock. Games two and three will be in Chicago uh, Wednesday and Friday. Yeah, so outstanding job by the USF men's basketball team. We've got more college hoop action, of course, as the NCAA tournament continues. Uh, Purdue uh, came back and beat Tennessee in overtime. That was a big win for the Big Ten. They're doing very, very well. As we tape this podcast, Steve, you're watching another. Uh, Michigan's uh, getting throttled by Texas Tech uh, early in the second half. Okay, and then Virginia was playing – who are they playing? Virginia's playing Oregon. Oregon, that's that's right. That's late in the first half as we tape this. I think Virginia's up a little bit. And Florida State lost to Gonzaga. They're out. Yep. So, so yeah, we're getting we're to the Elite Eight after tonight, and then by the end of the weekend, we'll have the Final Four. Yeah, and if you if you went chalk, you're probably doing pretty well. But um, but congratulations to Purdue, who takes down Tennessee it's in a really, hard It's really been game. kind of a boring tournament. It has been. There's um, not been many, like, last-second type deals. Well, no. I mean, I think the UCF game was the game of the tournament. Uh, absolutely, yeah, that was. I mean, Tennessee's been in two overtime games now. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I mean, all, you know, all four number ones, all four number twos, all four number threes advanced. Two of the fours advanced to five and a twelve. So, um, you know, there's some updates the first day, but there really hasn't been major tournament upsets at this point. No, no, and I, I think you're going to see more and more of that as as we move along here. But, um, but yeah, so we got tournament action all weekend in the NCAA. We got the Rays continuing their series against the Houston Astros at the Trop. The Tampa Bay Lightning are going to play the Washington Capitals on Saturday. That's Wait, their last home game. 
They got yes. They, four they, days it's gonna off. Be a while. Four days off. I know. Between games. I know. I don't know how they feel about. It. I mean, I think at this point of the season, though, Steve, it's probably beneficial because they got a long stretch coming up here in the postseason. Hopefully for them. I think even more than physically, I think mentally, it's a nice break. Mentally, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Now they got five games in eight days starting Saturday. Uh, the Capitals right. at home, and then four on the road to end the season. That's a tough way to end the year, man. It is, but I think it kind of gets you ready for the playoffs. Yeah. Um, but you also, look, you've clinched the President's Trophy. You've clinched everything you can clinch. You could rest some players that week, too. I mean, Steven Samkos doesn't have to play all five games. No, he doesn't, and I think they'd be Victor smart Hedman to do that. Victor doesn't have to. Ryan McDonough, they could sit one of them, you know, each each maybe sits one game. Mm-hmm. You know, assuming yeah, it looks they, like Anton Strawman's close to getting back. So, at that point, d- defensively, you could rest somebody. They still have an outside shot at that record of tying Detroit, though, right? Well, they're at 59 wins. They've got five mm-hmm. games left, and they need three wins to tie, four three to set Three out of five ties, four to set it. So, something to play for. And certainly, the teams they're playing are all teams that are mostly uh, in the playoff chase. So, you know, they, they'll keep their attention and have to be locked down. But uh, the last home game, Saturday against the Washington Capitals. They're uh, 2-0 and against the Capitals this year. They were 2-1 and last year and still managed to lose game six and seven in the Eastern Conference Finals. So, uh, you know, don't count your chickens, as they say, but uh, it would be an exciting game. Uh, I've, I've seen one of those this year already. Uh, those two teams just they, they just have – it's becoming a rivalry. It reminds me a little bit of uh, back in the day, you know, the Bucks would end up playing Philadelphia. I don't know why just kept happening this way in the postseason. Mm-hmm. Before that was Green Bay. Um, they didn't get over the top. Of course, they beat Philadelphia in the year that they went to the Super Bowl and won it. So, you know, sometimes your rivalries are – your better rivalries are born not geographically but out of postseason. Well, and that's um, why the NHL – and there's a lot of talk about the NHL playoff format where essentially the top three teams in your division are all in the same first two – you're going to play in the first two rounds. And, you know, once again this year, you know, I mean, Boston's the second-best team in hockey, and the Lightning are going to have to face them in the second round, assuming they win their first game. Yeah, and that's tough. And it, But they do that because they want to create rivalries within divisions. And that's they want, sure. they want those teams meeting in the playoffs often. Sure. So that you're playing four or five times a season, plus you're playing in the playoffs to create that rivalry. And that's what, that's what the goal of the hockey postseason format is. Whether you like it or not, that's a whole different story. Yeah, and I think I think it's real important that you know the Lightning have have had these games and they've been close games and they've they've come out on top, but they're able to feel uh, what Washington feels like now and, and vice versa. And I think so far, the Lightning have stood up physically in every other way uh, to the Capitals, whereas a year ago I think maybe they struggled at times. So um, let's see how they finish the season out. They've remained incredibly laser focused. That's why John Cooper has his extension. This team has not take the foot, taken the foot off the accelerator, uh, and I think that they'll continue to play that way and try to stay sharp going into the postseason. But playoff hockey is almost here, man. It's just right around the corner. We're almost uh, to April, if you can believe that. March has, has, has left us. We're in the middle of March Madness. So great time of the year. Absolutely uh, everything to talk about in terms of sports, uh, baseball, college basketball, of course, um, you know, having the uh, – NHL playoffs starting, so exciting time of year. We hope you keep it right here at Sports Day Tampa Bay. And if you own a business, uh, make sure that uh, if you want an opportunity to sponsor this podcast, we have lots of new ways that you can do that. You can uh, you know, contact us for information on that on Twitter at Sports Day TV. You can contact me at uh, NFL Stroud, or my email address is rstroud at 
tampabay.com. So for Steve Versnick, this is Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times. Have a great weekend, everybody. We'll talk to you on Monday. 